0: Good morning and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for February 26th, 2017. Koyo Kubose here. So very, very glad you joined us this morning. Still a frosty morning in February. Even though in California here, spring is almost getting ready to, almost sprung, (laughs) probably earlier than other parts of the country, except in the... In the South, Uh, I wanted to mention that, as many of you may know, my hometown is Chicago, and I wanted to mention uh, my sister uh, lives in Chicago, and she keeps me abreast of news. Uh, And she called me yesterday and told me that um, an old friend's uh, mother had passed away. They had just gotten back from memorial service there. And she was 98 and a half years young. And uh, so th- this morning I just uh, looked in my card drawer and I got a, a sympathy card and uh, wrote a note and. Uh, so that I could put it into the mail, and I wrote. You while, know, well, I'm sure that the family had high hopes for 100. You know, somebody says 98. You got to figure out how many months too. I saw. I, I, I had asked. Well, when when was a birthday? You know, it was in July. So it's wow, well, 98 and a half. You know, in in Japan. Well, Japanese counting of uh, how old someone is, is rather strange because culturally, Japan, when the baby's born, uh, the next new year after they're born, on New Year's Day, they consider that a new year so that they gain a year. So when they're born, they're already one years old. You know, um, it's a strange way of counting age. I don't quite understand it, but anyway, sometimes what some families do is they they fudge a little bit, and an older person when they turn ninety nine, chronologically, they say, "Oh, uh, Japanese counting, hey, you'll be a you be a you be a hundred this year so we could celebrate early but uh, centurion whatever the term is for a hundred years old you know such a round number and what not we have our our numbering system so to speak when of age you know the big four old 75 80 you know And 100. Uh, I also wrote my friend, and I said, "Well, uh, sorry that you had to become members in uh, joining uh, membership of a in an unwanted club of becoming orphans. You know, when you lose both parents, we usually don't think about it, but we are now orphans without parents, living parents." And generations keep rolling on by. And I said, well, we're, we're, you're orphans, well, your parents are, that means your parents are gone. We're next in line, our generation, you know. There was a time when I remember when we were young adults and, um, we had to take care of when parents passed away in terms of the arrangements, making decisions for funerals and whatnot. And some people, you know, from my generation said, gee, it's our turn. We have to, we have to learn how to handle all the aspects of, you know, this life, life thing of people passing away. Before, our parents had, you know, the other older generation took care of these things. Now we got to learn how to do these things because we're the responsible ones now. But even in a more basic sense, well, when we're orphans, then we're the next generation. There's no generations. We take it for granted, but when we're, say, young children, or uh, we may have grandparents still living. You know that generation. Then we have our parents' generation, then ours. Uh, You know two generation buffers. Then after the grandparents pass away, I still got your parents' generation as buffers. And when your parents pass away, so hey, we're next in line. You know. Then of course the next thing that follows is, in terms of expressing this, I say well. Oh, I don't. You better not. Take, you better enjoy every day. Don't take you know, things for granted anymore. That kind of impact uh, of one's own mortality and so forth. Uh, better appreciate every little thing. So I was thinking about that today, and uh, and when you think about it, there's an old saying: death is the mother of beauty. It's because of death that uh, we really appreciate, <laughs> you know, life. That is a uh, well, something very profound when we think about it. See? And I remember there was a movie. Uh, it was Troy. You remember the movie Troy with Brad Pitt and uh, of. Uh, he was Achilles, and uh, Helen of Troy, at times and so forth. But there was a line when he was talking to a young woman. It was in a little tent, and he, and he, you know, he was of course he was a warrior, and, and uh, you, know, you have to when you go into battle, you know, death is really close. And they had gods, the Greek pantheon of gods and so forth in those days, their belief system. But uh, Brad Pitt tells us, his companion, you know, the gods envy us. You know why? Because we're mortal. If we could imagine, which we can't, what it would be like, what would be your psychological everyday living experience, if you knew you were eternal and you didn't, there was no death, you know, you were a God, you were a deity, Uh, would there be some, I don't know what the adjective is, but some aliveness, some rawness, some, you know, taste, everything is alive and tense because we know we're mortal i never I never changed places with with a god. To be mortal. Huh? As human beings. Ah, you know. He was speaking like a warrior then I guess. And uh it makes us pause to examine, you know, our our, our attitudes about such so called ultimate matters. <laughs> and uh well anyway. When I was thinking about saying, talking about Chicago, my earlier comments, for some reason, you know, different associations spark off in a person's mind. And I was thinking of a song, you know, Chicago, and nothing to do with the topic that I was talking about. Um, But, uh, yeah, Chicago, there was a song, Chicago. um, There's a lyric in the song. I saw a man dance with his wife in Chicago. <laughs> and I really get a charge out of that line, what that implies. Jeez, I saw a man dance with his wife. <laughs> and uh, so I'm going to, later on this morning, I'm going to Google it. You know, it's Internet's so fantastic. You want to hear a song? Bam, you could just go on the Internet and, and hear it right then, you know. Um and of course a lot of uh, cities have songs about them, you know, San Francisco and New York, Chicago. And even in only Chicago ones would know, but there's a song there's a Lake Shore Drive, which is a the highway that runs right along Lake Michigan and uh on the north side of Chicago and there's a song about that road. You know, Lakeshore Drive. Yeah, I really, I really love that song. You could Google that, Lakeshore Drive the song. And, uh, boom. well, I want to talk, introduce a Chicagoan, give us the Dharma Glimps today, Dave Niccio. He completed the program. Oh, he was part of the LM2 group. Of course, we're on 9 and 10 right now. Uh, and, long-time Chicagoan, and, uh, I, I think he's going to share a poem, I heard,
1: so let's ask Dave Michio to talk to him. Thanks for inviting me to, uh, give a, a dynamic glimpse. Uh, this, this month, uh, I, uh, I wrote a poem, because it's, uh, it was Valentine's Day, and, uh, I wrote this poem that I think uh, might, I don't know, maybe it'll be meaningful. It's called When the Heart and the Mind Meet in an Alley. When they were kids, the heart and mind were inseparable. They played hockey together, always against the older boys, every one of them three inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. The mind whispering, holy shit, we're out of our league. They took turns in the goal, and when the puck deflected off the heart's helmet and shot away, he walked off the ice yelling, Hey, hey, did you see that save? While the mind looped through his head, the one that grazed his skate and crossed the line and just wanted to clear the puck down the ice before getting pummeled. But not the heart. The heart got in the thick of it. Got the tip of his stick on the puck only to be hung up like a side of beef against the glass. Right in front of Jenny Baroni. The mind skating past saying, holy shit is she out of your league. The heart throwing her an invincible grin and then right back into the game. Even now the heart and mind are inseparable. But when the bench is clear, the mind counsels caution. While the heart throws gloves to ice and races straight at the biggest opponent. Always three inches taller and 20 pounds heavier. And afterwards at the bar, the mind steers the heart away from other hearts, away from broken hearts and raging hearts, away from the heart of Jenny Baroni, a heart which is now married and just out looking for trouble. The mind interceding before things carry outside. Because once two hearts are around the corner and down the alley, the mind is finished. The mind can't step between two hearts, can't put one hand on one heart's chest, the other on the other's, and say, stop, let's think about this. Both hearts beating each other in unison, going at it wholeheartedly, while inside, pairs of hearts filled darkened booths, and a row of minds sits at the bar nursing bitter ales. So I wrote this, a little tongue-in-cheek. But uh, at the same time, uh, there's a lot of truth in the saying that when the heart and mind are at war, you can't have peace. Um, I feel like sometimes we spend a lot of our time attempting to reconcile the two through rationalization or suppressing our feelings when, um, you know, we should look at the dissonance maybe as a poke in the chest saying, hey, pay attention, you know, talk. And uh, uh, I think uh, in this day and age, there's probably a lot of people uh, in our our current time, political times, a lot of people feeling dissonance in a lot of ways, and uh, it should be a uh, kind of a uh, a reason for reflection when you feel that dissonance. Uh, so that's it. That's my my glimpse. I hope hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Yes, indeed. <laughs>
0: I think that whole topic of, well, when you think about quality of a person's life or um, spiritual life or Buddhist life and the dimensions of heart and mind are are basic concepts, I guess, of dimensions. And uh, when they're, together, heart and mind are one, and together, you know, it's full steam ahead. There's no, um, I guess it's the intensity and direction, sort of like the mind gives a direction, um, and the heart gives the intensity, amplitude, magnitude, okay? Uh, and but it's like energy has, you know, it provides the energy, but in what direction is it applied? Well, that's part of the mind's job. So it's sort of like locomotive, you know, that, or a car is going in a, has, it needs a steering wheel and it needs an engine and the steering wheel provides the direction and so forth and the engine provides the energy with a speed and you know, magnitude, um, uh, and of course, in human beings, uh, these two things and interact. They're not really completely separate from one another. But when we think about it, life is good when they both are integrated together, consonant, you know. Uh <clears throat> when they're in conflict or, you know, the mind is saying, hey, hey, you don't want to do that or too cautious or something or um, or when the emotions are out of control, then things are not uh, going smoothly in one's life. So how to, that kind of a expression or manifestation of what we might call oneness, or oneness is better than unity. Uh, When things are uh, not just lumped together, but they are working together, then uh, it's just one thing. Life is flowing, you know. Uh, That's a beautiful thing. We lose Ourselves to find ourselves, and I think that's why sometimes poetry, art, sports, moments in which um, that help to make heart and mind to to be one uh, because of the nature of the activity, you know, sort of in, you know encourages it that what that particular moment in which. Oh, Mary. Okay. Um, can we become that way so that it's trans-situational? It doesn't depend upon the situation, but we become that kind of person where when we do something, or as my father would say, when you do something, do it 100%. That's how to live. Okay? Sometimes we just exist. We're not really living Um, when you're engaged in a hobby or something you love or get carried away in anything, yeah, you know, more than 100%, by more than 100%, I mean that you're not aware, you're not self-consciously thinking, yeah, this is 100%. No, 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 that's, you know, an observer's take or your take later on after the experience is over. Whoa, I got lost in that sun, looking at that sunset or, you know, Things like this, very, uh, or maybe when you ask somebody, "What is the?" Um, Abraham Maslow did this uh, in humanistic psychology, he saying, "Hey, let's let the, you know, psychology studies uh, you know, it was so influenced by Sigmund Freud and abnormal psychology, and, and and when you think of psychology and those, you know, a few decades ago, you always thought about." Uh, abnormal mental illness, and what are the factors, and when things went wrong in a person's life, we should study the other half of uh, psychology. Should also study beauty, truth, uh, great things. What, what are the conditions and things, factors that are operating when things go right? When a person is a super self-actualizing person, to use humanistic psychology terminology of self-actualization where um, you know, artists living a creative life very satisfying very uh, it could be challenging, intense but there's something alive, aliveness there and um life hitting on all cylinders, so to speak, and this kind of thing. And, um, as a very preliminary ex- investigation about great, uh, he asked this question about, can you describe using adjectives, describe your most aesthetic, uh, tremendous, uh, you know, life experiences, what, you know, And some people would say, talk about a sports moment. Maybe they'll talk about childbirth. Maybe they'll talk about a graduation event or marriage or, you know, and or moments in nature. And an interesting thing that Maslow, when he looked at the adjectives and the responses of the respondents to this question, and I think this is a rather Buddhistic okay. Not that we have to always over- label things religiously or Buddhistically, but he said in all the descriptions of those kinds of ecstatic, most intense, tremendous experiences, no one talked about the self. Or oh, I was they weren't even aware of themselves as a separate they were lost in that activity. Isn't that interesting? Huh. Um, maybe that's part of the meaning of. Well, you have to, you have to lose yourself to find yourself. Okay. The the nuances on what self means. Okay. What well, you know, big S, a little S, maybe. And um, so, I think this is a very interesting topic terms of uh, human experience. Wow, wow, that's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, yes, indeed, keep going, and you have a wonderful day.